Philippians chapter 3, continuing verse by verse through our series in the book of Philippians. And uh, uh, I am looking forward to the precious truth that we have for us. Uh, really, probably my favorite uh, in the entire book of Philippians, this truth we're going to be privileged to look at today. And so our study is going to pick up in chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. And uh, those of you that were here last week, you remember some of the things we looked at, but perhaps you weren't here last week. So I want to just give you a little bit of the context before we read this passage of Scripture here. Paul had, had just described all he thought that was gain in his life before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he, he counted everything up in the first couple verses of this chapter, all the things that he thought he could gain by his own righteous efforts. And what he had found was that everything he thought he had of value in his life was really not worth anything without Jesus. And he came to this conclusion in verse 7. Well, let's read it together. Uh, uh, I'll read out loud. You listen along. Verse 7, the Bible says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. After counting everything up, what, what Paul is saying here, after he counted everything up, he, he concluded that nothing else was worth living for than Jesus. And moving on from that thought, through the next several verses in this chapter, we see he determines then, since all that is of value in, life, in this life and in eternity is Jesus, he determines to live his life in scope of eternity for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how he puts it, starting in verse number uh, verse number 9. He says, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let me begin by saying what Paul describes for us here is what we could call the mindset of a mature believer. The mindset of a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Someone who is spiritually mature has ceased finding value in their own work for God and has come to rest in the finished work of Jesus. And this is a significant truth. See, if you're a mature believer, you have come to a place where you find your value. You find your acceptance. You find your significance. You find it all. Not in your own religious efforts. Not in your own outward efforts. But you find all of that in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Paul expresses to us here. Boy, it's so important that we learn this truth. I think this is where we so often get tra off track in our Christian lives. We get saved and we understand that we can never save ourselves. It's all based on the, the work of Christ. But then after we get saved, it's like we flip the script and now all of a sudden it's up to me again. 
and uh, you didn't get saved by your own effort, why do you think that you keep your value in God's eyes by your own effort then? And uh, we oftentimes get this subject matter confused very much. And I want you to understand the same grace of Jesus Christ that made your salvation possible is the same grace of Jesus Christ that makes your spiritual growth possible as well. You can't grow without the grace of Christ that is conveyed to us in this passage. As Philippians 1, 6 put it, put it to us, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you shall continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what he starts. By the way, the work that, that Christ began in you, he will complete it. You better, you better be sure of that. And uh, uh, now we're all still a work in progress by God's grace. His spirit is uh, transforming. He's transformed our hearts and he's conforming our lives into his image. But boy, we need to understand how this process works if we're going to grow to maturity as believers in Christ. Now, when you became a Christian, if you are a Christian here today, if you truly believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible says something miraculous happened within you the moment you trusted Jesus as your Savior. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you have been made new in Jesus Christ through your faith in the finished work of Christ. And so in order for you to grow to spiritual maturity then, you must adopt this new mindset that you have been given through your faith in Jesus. And that's really what this chapter in large part is about. Now, Another term the scripture used to describe what I'm talking about is the renewing of your mind. Have you ever heard that before? The renewing of your mind. What, is that? what does that mean? Well, to make your mind new. We can put it that way. And the Bible talks about it in several places in the New Testament. And so scripturally, uh, the renewing of your mind refers to how you must allow God's spirit to give you a new way of thinking about life. Well, this is hard for young Christians well, let me put it this way, for Christians who may have been saved for years but never grown up. Because it is, it is, it is my uh, realization that so many Christians struggle with uh, what one person I heard put it as uh, is arrested development. <laughs> you don't grow up. All right? Now, it's all right with Toys R Us to say you always want to be a Toys R Us kid. Uh, and you don't want to stay little forever. That's not okay with your spiritual life. You understand that? not okay to stay immature in your faith. God expects us to go on to maturity. Hebrews 6 tells us that. And we need to be challenged in this area. Now, I'll be honest with you. We're going to go real deep this morning. And if you don't walk in and, and just decide you're going to listen to what God has for you from the scriptures, uh, because we're going deep, it might be more difficult to listen. Um, but if you're a, a sincere believer who wants to grow in your faith, I hope you'll tune in. To what God has to teach us from the scriptures this morning. The main thing I want you to get as we're starting the message. Is that it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to stop thinking like you used to think before you were saved. And to start thinking how the Bible tells you to think. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, just one book back in the Bible. It tells us in verse 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle. The old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what God desires from us. And may God help us to grow to another level of spiritual maturity. Wherever you're at right now, 
May the truth that we're about to uncover in this passage help you to take your next step uh, as a believer, your next step towards maturity as a believer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. And I want you to just pray and ask for the Lord to speak to your heart as I pray out loud. Father, we come before you this morning and thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would give me uh, liberty to be able to declare the truth and unction uh, from your spirit. And uh, Lord, these are precious truths. And uh, I don't feel worthy to even convey them. Uh, they're your truths and uh, truths of what you have made possible for us through your finished work. And I pray that they would move our hearts, motivate our lives, and change our thinking. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, from this passage here, I want you to notice with me this morning five facets of the mindset of a mature believer. You're taking notes. You can write this down first. I want you to see that a new believer, how his mindset changes, he has a new prize. His mindset changes because he has a new prize. Look at verse 8 with me. The, the apostle wrote, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may what? Win Christ. So many people live their lives trying to win God's acceptance. Understand the difference here. They're trying to win something, and they think that winning Christ has to do with trying to make God be okay with me. And so they do good deeds. They give to charity. They go to religious assemblies, and they do all the things that they're told they're supposed to do in hopes that maybe they can win God's favor. Is that what Paul's talking about when he says that I can win Christ? Not at all. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. So what is Paul talking about? Well, the Greek word translated win, it also means to gain or to acquire something as if it's a prize. That's what it's talking about. And so literally in this verse, Paul said he suffered the loss of all other things. Suffered the loss literally means that he forfeited everything else. Why? So that he could gain Christ. In fact, at the end of the verse, he said that everything else was dung compared to having Jesus in this life, in his life. And so, hey, in this sense, you can kind of see the new mindset that Paul was taking. He decided to not prize the things that he valued before he came to Christ. That's dung. I forfeit those things. And now what matters to me, what's valuable to me is Jesus. All the other stuff I forsake so that I can have Christ in my life. Listen to me on this. A mature believer will value Jesus over everything else in their life. You'll value Jesus over everything and everyone else in your life. And the more you grow as a Christian, the less value, value you'll find in the things that meant so much to you before you came to Christ. And the more you grow as a Christian, the more valuable Jesus will become. And that's what the process of spiritual growth looks like. Now, let's be honest. For some of us in this room, we still put a very high value on other things other than Christ. In fact, there are many people that uh, maybe, uh, maybe don't go to church regularly or, or aren't in the scriptures regularly. Or we can put many things in the blank there. And one of the reasons is because they find more value in a hobby. They find more value in a relationship. They find more value in something else. You need to ask yourself the question. What's the most valuable thing that you have in your life? Because if the answer isn't Jesus, then you have not come to a place of spiritual maturity. 
I point that out to you because maybe you need to grow. It's okay if you're there, but it's important that you understand the closer you get to the Lord, the more important he'll become to you and the less valuable other things will seem to be in your life. And can I just say this is a process? It doesn't happen all at once. Uh, for some people, sometimes they're just uh, miraculously delivered from vices and sinful struggles in their life as soon as they get born again. But it doesn't happen that way for everyone. For some people, it's a lifelong, and I expect I'd go so far as to say for all of us, it's a lifelong pursuit of growing in the Lord, finding less value in the things of this world that we used to find so much value in, and finding more value in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 instructs believers to put off the old man's with his deeds and to put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then it says, where Christ becomes all and in all. Is Christ your all in all today? Well, I'm telling you something. Uh, that may not be the case for you right now, but as you grow in the Lord, He should become more and more precious. And so the first way uh, a, a mature believer's mindset is changed is that he has a new price. Here's the second truth I want you to see. He has a new position. He has a new position. Now look at verse number 9 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 9. I don't have a whole lot of jokes or illustrations today. We're just digging into the truth of it. So you dig in with me. Verse 9. The Bible says, I want, to, uh, I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so as a mature believer, what Paul says here at the beginning of the verse is, I want to be found in Christ. Boy, that's a precious statement in the scripture. In Christ. Now, Paul said he wanted to be found in Christ. That, that word or phrase, be found, it literally means to be discovered or to be found out. And so what Paul is saying here is that when others looked at his life, he wanted them to find out that he was no longer trusting in his own work to make him righteous. But he was trusting only in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Before he wanted everybody to see all the good things he'd done. He was zealous for his religion because he thought that is what gave him value and what made God think he was righteous. Now, when he found Christ, he realized, I don't want anybody to think I'm trusting in any of my own goodness because I'm a wretched sinner, but I have a great Savior. And he wanted to make sure everyone understood he was only trusting in the righteousness which could be given to him uh, through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And I think this is a truth that many people still struggle with today. But let me tell you something. A mature believer will rest in this new position in Christ. The position of being found in Christ. And so my question to you is simple today. Are you in Christ? Do you know what it means to be in Christ? Well, let me illustrate. This is my one illustration for you today, okay? Let me pull this out of here. I love this illustration. Some of you have seen this before, but some of you haven't. I'm not going to give the whole thing, but I've got boxes, all right? So all the men will really relate with me because you think in boxes, okay? All right? Um, let me pull this thing apart. There you go. So, pull all these things out here. All kinds of fun stuff. Okay, here's what I got. This is you, all right? Pretty simple. It says you, okay? Don't forget when you were born into this world, you were born with something inside of you. You were born with, what is this? 
sin. Alright? Adam sinned, the first man that ever lived, and wherefore by one man, uh, by one, one man, uh, the sin was, uh, death was passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so we inherited a sin nature from our forefathers. Your dad, your mom, your grandma, grandpa, they were sinners, and they just passed it on right down to you. And so whenever you get in trouble now as a kid, you can say, well, it's really your fault. You, you made me this way. Okay? Don't do that. I'm just kidding. But you were born with sin in you, and you were born also in sin. Because you're a sinner, you've done wrong against God. When God looks at you, what does he see? Sin. Sin in you. And you're in sin. You're identified by sin. And because you're a sinner, you deserve to be punished for your sin. Jesus came, and he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Okay? Here's what Jesus did. Let me come over here so you all can see. All right? When Jesus came in, into this world, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, when he died on the cross... He took upon himself our sin. The Bible says Jesus became sin. That's a powerful truth. And when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw the, all the sinfulness of humanity, and what did he do? He punished Jesus for our sin. And according to Colossians chapter number 3, what Jesus did, through our, uh, did, did to our sin while he hung on that cross is he nailed it to the cross. That sin has been done away with. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And now, when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you who are identified by your sin, when you trust in Jesus, something miraculous happens. You're no longer identified by your sin, but you're placed in Christ. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see you or your sin. That's been taken care of by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you. And what God sees now when he looks at you is Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. Are you in Christ? You say, well, how does that happen? That happens the moment you realize you're a sinner and only Jesus can save you. And you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the miraculous transformation takes place. You're cleansed from all of your sin. And you're placed into, faith, and you're placed into a position of being in Christ. Are you in Christ today? See, what happens for us as believers, we come to a place where we, uh, we understand that Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. We're placed in Christ, but we still continue to struggle with identifying ourselves as being in Christ. Now, we have no struggle with it when it comes to eternity. Well, yeah, I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, but we struggle with understanding the fact that not only have I been made righteous for eternity... But I've been made righteous in God's eyes for today. We really struggle with that. And even after we get saved, we still struggle with guilt. We, st we still struggle with feeling like, well, what, am I really saved? If I'm really saved, then why do I continue to struggle? Why do I continue to have struggle with sin? And, and, and we as believers continue to have these types of difficulties. But Paul, what he demonstrates to us here, is that he didn't get saved by his own righteousness. Neither did he grow spiritually. By his own righteousness. He identified in Christ. Both for his salvation. And for his sanctification. For his spiritual growth. Galatians 2.20. The apostle said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. 
And boy, Paul, Paul didn't just say this, this righteousness that I've been given is good for heaven, but he, he understood it's good for every single day that he lived his life. And so let me say, you will never become righteous by behavior modification, but only ever by Savior identification. When you identify with Jesus Christ, right? And boy, we, we as religious people, we can get lost in this trap thinking, well, you know, I, I guess God's not really happy with me this week because I, I didn't go to church. God's not really happy with me this week because I missed a day reading my Bible. Listen, I'm all for you going to church and all for you reading your Bible every day. But to think that, that act, those activities are what makes God like you or not like you is ludicrous. The only reason that God has anything to do with you and me is because of Jesus. Our righteousness is in him. I was talking with a lady about this this week, and she said her life was changed when she finally came to understand that she was the very righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful truth that will transform your life as a believer, free you from a lifetime of feeling like God doesn't like you, God doesn't want anything to do with you, that you'll never measure up. You never will measure up. But in Christ, you are valued, you are loved, you are accepted, and oh, how important that is to understand. You have a new position. And boy, this will change your mindset. This will change the way you live your life. So a mature believer, he has a new prize. He has a new position. But here's the third thing I want you to see. He has a new passion. He has a new passion. Look at verse number 10 with me, if you would. The Bible says in verse number 10, that I may what? Know him. He says that I may know him. When Paul realized Jesus was the only thing of value in his life, his perspective changed and his passion all of a sudden became about knowing Jesus. All right? Before we could say he wanted to be known by God, by his actions. After he understood who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him, hey, all he cared about was knowing Jesus more. Knowing Jesus more. That word know in verse 10, it literally means to have an intimate, personal relationship with someone. Paul wanted to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus as his Savior. And after he got saved, Paul didn't find his value anymore in what he did for Jesus. But rather he found his value in just knowing Jesus more and more. And hear me out on this, Christian. Once you understand that the only thing of value in your life is Jesus, you will stop trying to prove your worth to God and you will start finding your worth in knowing Jesus more and more. That's it. You see, Christian growth is really not about you doing better for God. Christian growth is all about you coming to understand more and more who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. He's the only one that can give you the power to live the Christian life. And the more you come to know about Jesus, the more you realize what he has done to change your life. The Bible says this, 2 Peter 3.18. It says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, spiritual growth happens as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus. As you grow to know Jesus more. That really is how you grow as a believer. And as I have walked with God throughout the years, it's amazing to me. The more I discover about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me, the more I realize uh, how my life has been changed. And in learning more of Jesus and, be and, and becoming closer to Jesus, that really is the key to all Christian growth. 
And we like to say, well, if I grow as a Christian, that means I'm keeping all the rules better. That means I'm, I'm checking all the boxes better. And those things may happen. But if that's, if that's how you are measuring your spiritual growth, you're using the wrong standard. We talked about that last week. All right? Christian growth is measured by you and I growing to know Jesus more and more and seeing more and more of Jesus demonstrated in our lives. Now, in this verse here, there are several ways that Paul says he wanted to come to know Jesus more. We'll just hit these very briefly. Notice the first one here. He said, I want to know his power. I want to know his power. Verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to know more of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He no longer wanted to live in his own strength. He wanted to live in the strength of the risen Christ that had come to dwell inside of him. And friend, I, I love the contrast best when I think about how the disciples of Jesus were before Jesus rose again and after he rose again. Before he rose again, what were they doing? They were hiding. They were, they were ashamed. All right? After he rose again, what happened? Those same cowards that were hiding in a corner were out in the middle of the streets declaring, He lives! And their whole life had been transformed. I'm going to tell you something. When you come to know Jesus as your risen Savior, the one who walks with you, walks with you the one who gives you strength for every day that you live, you'll, you'll begin to understand the power of Jesus Christ for your life. Paul wanted to come to know his power. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And because he lives, uh, we have been raised to walk in this newness of life. We have the power to live the Christian life, not in ourselves, but in the risen Christ that has made all of it possible. So Paul says, I want to know his power. The next thing he says is, I want to know his person. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and get this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wanted to have communion with Jesus in suffering for his sake. And uh, you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll realize very quickly, Paul went through quite a bit of suffering. And he figured out during a long and hard season of suffering, where he asked God to deliver, it from, deliver him from it, he realized that it was through the season of suffering and the difficulty that he came to know Jesus even more. And so Jesus told him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul came to the conclusion, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, in my difficulties, in my struggles, in my sufferings. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When he's talking about, I become strong in him. And if you've gone through any season of suffering, I'm sure you can identify with, with this. When you go through a season of suffering, boy, it draws you closer to the Lord. You don't have anywhere else to go. And Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. It could be the difficulty you're going through today. God has allowed you to go through it to draw you closer to him. So that you could come to know him in a way that you never knew him before. And in the process, you're going to be growing as a believer. Paul says, I want to know his power. I want to know his person. A third thing he mentions here is, I want to know his perfecting. His perfecting. Verse number 10. He says that I may know him. And the end of the verse says, being made conformable unto his death. 
So in the process of coming to know Jesus more, Paul wanted to be conforming into the image of Jesus. Conforming, uh, the, the verse says there, uh, unto, be made conformable unto his death. What does that mean? Well, the verb there is in the present tense and in the passive voice, which what that tells us is what's happening, what he's talking about here is how God's spirit actively is forming or shaping you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not something you're doing. It's something that God's doing to you, and he's doing it to you right now. He's perfecting you. He's shaping you. He's making you more like Jesus. And so long as we live in this world, God is going to be performing what he's talking about here on you and I. None of us have arrived when it comes to being like Jesus. All of us are still a work in progress. And I think it's important that we understand that. I don't have time to go into it, but if you look up Romans 8.29, the Bible actually says that this is God's predestined purpose for us. Every person who gets saved, that they would go on to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we as believers don't forget that because, hey, you can get to a place where you get saved and you think, well, I'm going to heaven. Just sit back. When all, the, when all the while, hey, we've got a lot to live for. And so long as God has us in this world, we need to keep living for the purpose that God has put us on this world for. And letting him have that work in our life. That's why Romans 12 and verse 1 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your best decision would be to say, Lord, I'm going to let you have your way in my life. You, there's something in my life that isn't right, isn't where it should be. I'm going to let you, I want to, be, I want to be made conformable to your death. I want to be conformed into your image. That would be a good decision for you to make. Paul says, I want to know uh, the person of Jesus. I want to know the perfecting of Jesus. I want to know the power of Jesus. But he also said this. He said, I want to know his presence. I want to know his presence. Look at verse 11. It's a curious verse. It says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but that word resurrection is the only time that Greek word is used in the New Testament. Um, and that, you know what that Greek word literally means? Now, resurrection is used many other places, but not this particular Greek word translated resurrection. This Greek word literally means a standing up from, out from others. Or, or some people render it an out-resurrection. Let me suffice it to say what I believe the Bible is talking about here. You can study it out for yourself. I believe it's talking about the rapture. I believe it's what it's talking about. And Paul here, and one of the reasons I believe this, let me show you the language here. In verse 11, he says, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection. Do you think Paul knew he was saved? Do you think Paul knew he was going to heaven? So why is he using if? He's trying to work for his salvation? No, that goes against everything else he's saying in the chapter. He's saying, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. The reason why he says that is because Paul was looking forward and hoping that, hey, Jesus might come again. And he wanted, he wanted to be ready to meet him. He wanted to be ready to meet him. And uh, Paul wanted to come to know Jesus face to face from this lifetime. And I think that's a powerful truth for us to hold on to. And 
For this is our blessed hope as believers as well. And boy, one of our desires as we walk through this earth and as we grow in our spiritual walk, is one of our desires should be that we could come to know Jesus face to face. Now, if we die, we know we're, we're going to be uh, resurrected from the dead and we'll see the Lord and live forever in eternity with him. But what a joy, what a privilege it would be if we got to see him face to face. I'm telling you, the worse this world is getting, the more I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 uh, that we are to be looking for that blessed hope at the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, I want to live the rest of my days coming to know Jesus more and more. What's the mindset of a mature believer? Well, he has a new prize. He has a new position. His righteousness is in Christ. His position is in Christ. He has a new passion. I just want to know Jesus more. And here's the fourth thing I want you to see. He has a new pursuit. A new pursuit. Now, Paul did not think that he had arrived to a place of perfection in his spiritual walk. But he had made it his life's mission to pursue it. That's what he was living for. Verse 12. If you look there with me, the Bible says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul knew he still had some growing to do. He didn't act like he was already mature, that he'd already arrived spiritually speaking. And so here in verse 12, he says, I'm following after something. I follow after. That means he was actively pursuing something. What was he pursuing? Well, he said, I follow after, if that I may apprehend that means to lay a hold of. He was wanting to lay a hold of, the rest of the verse says, the one who had gotten a hold of him. Let me just pause here to say this. Paul, who was Saul before he got saved, was not the one that went pursuing Jesus. Jesus was the one who pursued Paul. And so, hey, get this. It was Paul's pursuit, it was, I'm sorry, it was Jesus' pursuit of Paul that resulted in Paul's pursuit of Jesus. And that's a critical thing for every one of us to understand as believers. And friend, I want you to see this. It was Jesus who first pursued you. In fact, for some of you who have not been saved, he may still be doing that right now. Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came into this world. And you and I would have no desire to pursue a deeper relationship with Jesus unless he had first come to pursue a relationship with us. Amen. The Bible teaches us that this very clearly. Jesus is the initiator. We are the reciprocators of his love. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he what? He first loved us. And it's his love that makes us want to come into a deeper relationship with him. And so the great pursuit of the Christian life is to get a hold of the one who has already gotten a hold of you and will never let you go. Boy, I find security in that. It's not like I'm trying to get a hold of a God that wants nothing to do with me. You will never pursue Jesus more than he is pursuing you. And that is just as much true after you get saved as it was before you got saved. See, sometimes we think, especially after we get saved, well, I, I did wrong and God doesn't want anything to do with me. No! 
He wants fellowship with you. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to be close to Him. He wants it so much more than what you even realize. What happened to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 16? Or Luke chapter 15, I think it is. What happened to him? When he came home, he thought his dad was going to reject him. He said, maybe he'll take me on as a slave. What happened? He came home and the dad was watching for him. He was waiting for him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He welcomed him home. He, 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 he had a big feast for him. And I'm telling you something. Believer, do not get caught into a trap where you think that God wants nothing to do with you. He loves you. He wants you to have a deep and intimate and personal relationship with him. And uh, God is pursuing you. You can make no mistake about that. And the result of his loving us and pursuing us with his love, that truth ought to motivate us to want to pursue the Lord with our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 the Bible says, puts it this way, the love of Christ constrains us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should no longer live henceforth unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. God's love constrains us to want to live for him. To want to pursue him with our life. And so Paul knew that Jesus had laid a hold on his life for a purpose. And he wanted to live the rest of his life pursuing the purpose to which God had called him to. That's what he says at the end of verse 12. He says, um, I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We could put it this way. Paul wanted to lay a hold of the purpose of the one who had laid a hold of him. Don't miss this, Christian. Don't tune me out now. Listen to me. Every believer has been given a purpose to pursue, to, to pursue for Jesus in this life. God made you for a reason. He created you with a purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 9, the Bible says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And God has given you a purpose to live for. And uh, you ought to live your life pursuing it. Here's how Paul said he was going to do it. Look at verse 13 with me. Verse 13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself... To have apprehended. Paul readily admitted that he had not yet reached this purpose in his life, but he made the determination that he was going to live the rest of his life pursuing God's purpose for him. He says the rest of the verse, he said, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, there was a mark. There was a mark. There was a, a finish line that Paul had his eyes on that he wanted to live for, that he wanted to arrive at. And he was, he was dedicated. He was determined to live his life pursuing after that mark, that finish line. And he was not going to stop pursuing it until he reached it. And so he says, I press toward that mark. Verse 14. That word press, has the, it carries the idea of a, a hunter eagerly pursuing prey. Now, not like some of you hunters, okay? You just go sit under a tree somewhere and hope something walks by. Right? Um, but a hunter pursuing the prey, tracking it down, trying to find it. Uh, that's the idea of how Paul was pursuing God's purpose for his life. Now, this is interesting to me. I've never seen this before. 
The same word translated follow after and uh, press toward was translated earlier. I think it's in verse number, uh, verse number six when Paul says he per was persecuting the church. Same word. So what does that mean? Well, basically what Paul was saying, he was living as zealously for the cause to which Jesus had called him as he before had lived trying to tear down that very cause, persecuting the church. And as zealous as he'd been to persecute the church, now he was just as zealous trying to build the church, uh, doing the work that God had called him to do. And boy, hey, listen to me. Let's put it this way. Before you met Christ, how zealously were you living for other things? Are you living as passionately for Jesus today as you were living for those other things? Are you as passionate about what God has called you to as a believer today as you were for the things that you were passionate about before you met Christ? Now, to some of us, that question is a wake-up call. Because let's be honest, we can get more passionate about a football game than we do about Jesus. Now, you'll stand up and go, Woo! Touchdown! You'll sit in church and think, why is that person raising their hand over there? What's wrong with them? Come on. I mean, in all seriousness, we, we, can get, we can get these matters confused. And I'm getting on the rabbit trail, so I better get off of that because I don't have time for it. But are you this determined to pursue God's purpose for your life? Paul said he was so determined. In verse number 13, he said, this one thing I do. He simplified the whole purpose of his life by saying, I'm going to not focus on anything else. I'm just going to focus on one thing, and that's what God has given me to do in my lifetime. In fact, he said, I'm forgetting about other things. I'm no longer caring for other things, and I'm reaching forth. Uh, that has the idea of stretching forth to win, and I don't have time to illustrate that here. But he decided that he was going to give everything he had, put all of his effort into Fulfilling the purpose to which God had called him to. And what was that purpose? What was at the finish line? What was it that he was striving so hard for? Verse 14. Let's read it out loud together. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That, that word high calling, it talks about an above or an up calling is what it's talking about. And I, I, I agree with what Matthew Henry had to say about it. The high calling is a reference to heaven. See, Paul was not living for this earth. He was living for eternity. He's looking at a finish line one day where either by the rapture or by his death, he crossed over into heaven. He was looking forward to that day when he stood face to face with his Savior. And he decided, I'm going to give it everything I've got until Jesus comes or I go to Jesus. And friend, that same motivation ought to move us if we are going to be mature believers. So often we can get caught up in the things of this world. We, we, so often our testimony could not be this one thing I do. But as D.L. Moody said, our testimony could rather be these many things I dabble with. <laughs> and often get so distracted from really living for Jesus. Paul said, I'm writing everything else off. I'm going to put everything I have into doing what Jesus has called me to do. Could you say that about your life today? Are you truly, passionately, fervently, singly living for Jesus? Because if you're not, you have some growing to do, Christian. 
He said, does that just mean I need to be in church all the time? No, it doesn't mean you need to be in church all the time. That's not what living for Jesus is. You live for Jesus as you work, work your job. You live for Jesus as you raise your family. You live for Jesus as you live your life. Everything you do, it should be for Jesus and for what he's called you to. Uh, whether it's raising your family for the Lord or, or being a good testimony in your workplace or whatever the case may be, you ought to be just as passionate about living for Jesus as the things you used to be passionate about before you came to faith in Jesus. That's the mindset of a mature believer. And so, we th as we think about this mindset, we see this type of person, he has a new prize. He has a new position. He has a new passion to know Christ. He has a new pattern pursuing Jesus until the rest of his days. And the final thing I want you to see, and I'll just have to touch on this briefly, he has a new pattern. A new pattern. As Paul brings these thoughts to a conclusion, he makes clear that those who are mature in their faith, and only those who are mature in their faith, will have this kind of mindset. Let's just put it this way. Superficial Christians don't live this way. Immature Christians don't live this way. Dedicated to Jesus and Jesus alone, writing off the things of this world. Can we, can we just be honest and say that the majority of people who claim to be Christians today are worldly at best? And certainly are not living for Jesus and Jesus alone. But a mature believer has come to a place he finds his righteousness in the Lord. And he's decided, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ alone. That's what he says in verse 15. Let's look at this and we'll be almost done. He says, let us therefore as many as be what? Perfect. Be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So Paul says, if you're going to be perfect, that word perfect is the Greek word teleos. It speaks of someone who's full grown or mature. If you're going to be mature as a believer, Paul says you need to be thus minded. You need to have this kind of mindset in living your life. Uh, and uh, can I say it's immature believers who think differently than this. They don't value the things that the Bible tells them they're supposed to value. And so if you're going to be a mature believer, you must adopt this type of mindset. All right, now, here's the encouragement. The end of verse 15, let's read it again. He says, if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. If you get off track, God's going to help you see it. Okay, if you're starting to, uh, if, you're, if you are acting out in immaturity as a believer, you're getting caught up in the things of this world, uh, caught, up in, caught up in sin. Uh, and by the way, Satan's so good about deceiving us and making us think that we're supposed to live for things that we're not supposed to live for. The good news is, if you do struggle, and if you are struggling with uh, growing in your spiritual life, the Bible says God will show it to you. So what does that look like? Well, sometimes you'll be listening to a sermon and the Holy Spirit will start knocking on your heart's door and saying, oh, that was for you. Or sometimes you'll be reading your Bible and the, the Holy Spirit will knock on your heart's door and says, Hey, buddy, you need to quit doing this. That's what it looks like. God will reveal areas of immaturity in your life to help you overcome them. He'll reveal it to you. So how does it do it? John 16, 13, the Bible, Jesus said that His Spirit will guide, his, will guide all believers into His truth. 
The Spirit of God works in your heart and helps you come to understand the areas where you need to grow as a believer. And perhaps as you heard the message today, the Lord has spoken to, about, to your heart about some specific areas that you need to grow in. Maybe some specific insecurities you struggled with that have kept you from having a mature mindset as a believer. You need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about this morning. That's important for you to see. Verse 16, the Bible says, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. And here in Paul's final challenge, he challenges every believer to allow this mindset to transform how you live every day of your life. If you are going to grow spiritually, you must learn to walk by this rule, to mind this same thing. What does that mean? All right, that means this mindset that has just been described for us in this passage of Scripture, that ought to impact everything that you do in your life. That's what it's talking about. This is the pattern for how you're supposed to live the Christian life. And so anywhere where you're thinking differently than what God has said you're supposed to think, you need to let him change your mind about those things. You say, well, I just don't feel very righteous, preacher. Well, what does God say? You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been, you've been made righteous in Christ. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. That's why you need to exercise faith and say, you know what? Even if I don't feel very good right now, I'm going to trust what God has to say about that. Right, if you've allowed other pursuits to become dominant in your heart and life that have drawn you away from the purpose that Jesus has called you to, you need to let the Spirit change your mind about those things. I'm not going to get caught up in that stuff anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And so how, does, how is the Spirit of God working in your heart today? He wants to help us grow to maturity. And a message like this, the truth of the matter is, it's so broad because all of us are at di different levels in our spiritual development. But I dare say, if you've listened to the, what the scripture has to say to us, <coughs> the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart about an area where you need to grow up spiritually. Will you listen to what he has to say about that today? Oh, he wants us to come to a place of spiritual maturity. It's time for all of us to grow up and to let him have that work in our heart. The only question is, would you be willing, as Romans chapter 12 says, to present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord and allow him to renew your mind so that you can know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God? And I hope we will do that today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together.